Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved today. I have the immense pleasure of chatting with Matthew Davies, leadership consultant, exec coach and speaker. This is another episode on real people, real stories, real value. And this man definitely ticks all three of those boxes. How are you, Matthew Davies? Very well, sir. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you very much. Very good. Thank you for asking. So for those people who don't know who Matthew Davies is, who is it? And how has he got to that seat there? Who is Matt Davies? The question I ask myself every morning. So I, yeah. uh, I have worked for the last fifteen years for um, for RBS NatWest. So it was RBS when I joined. It will be NatWest when I left. Um, just finished up there after that length of time. Took voluntary redundancy, and I've just gone out and set up my own company, doing exactly the things you described. So how I got there? I grew up in the northeast of Scotland, a little village called Lawrence Kirk. I moved to Glasgow for university when I was eighteen, and met my wife when I was there. Uh, obviously, she wasn't my wife at the time. Otherwise, it'd have been odd that I hadn't met her before. Uh, but I met her in uh, one of our classes and then studied computing science and management studies did a kind of load of event hosting and pub quizzes and had a radio show and all that kind of stuff there and got into American football there as well and then moved through to Edinburgh and joined the RBS grad scheme as an HR graduate in 2006 and I've been there ever since and through that time I've done you know the HR grad scheme then I did a retail leadership grad scheme so managing branches so I did two grad schemes which is very unusual I've never met anybody else that's done it and uh, five years of being a graduate is uh, probably too many um, but it was good it gave me a lot of exposure a lot of opportunities a lot of variety and then from there I did a, a kind of head office job and then after that became a coach about eight years ago and um, working with leaders helping develop their capability in leadership you know thinking about how they they, they get the most from their teams doing both kind of consultancy type stuff as in you know Matt Davies with his bag of ideas kind of throwing them at you until something sticks versus you know the, the straight exec coaching stuff which is much more about eliciting the answers from the individuals eliciting their their experience their understanding their capability and then along the way I've done loads of speaking stuff as well so you know I, I, within the, the bank I've hosted hundreds of events I've been a keynote speaker at loads of events I've you know done outside of the bank competitive public speaking stand-up comedy after dinner speaking I've done loads of um, up in Scotland with loads of Burns suppers. So uh, on the uh, the 25th of January, we celebrate the birth of Robert Burns and you know, we always have kind of events for those and I've basically done everything you can do at a Burns supper. So loads of different stuff over the years. And then as I mentioned, I got into American football at university and that led me down a path. I played for eight years and then started coaching just before I'd retired. Um, and I coached at Edinburgh Napier University. I coached at the East Cobride Pirates, where I played um, for both kind of their youth setup and their junior setup and their senior setup. And then now I coach for the Great Britain men's national programme. So it's been a bit of a wild ride, but there you go. Wow. What do you not do? Do you know what? Ask my wife because she'll give you a long list of those <laughs> things. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been interesting. I'm, I'm somebody that ever since I was young, 
I've always filled every minute of my spare time with things. You know, like I, when I was young, I played in bands and I've got guitars all around me, or the world bass guitars more specifically, on the wall all around me. I, I just, I, I love being busy. I love meeting new people, experiencing new things. I was telling you when we spoke uh, last week about all of the hobbies I picked up through lockdown just because I had all this extra time, you know? And so, yeah, I love being busy trying new things. And it's amazing what it leads you. Wow. What do you do best, Matthew? Speaking. Speaking yeah. is the thing best at yeah like being in front of a crowd both the facilitation type stuff in terms of you know train and delivery type things but but just holding an audience you know i um i tend to find a really nice balance between the content and the style so between you know making sure that people learn something that they're moved if they need to be moved that they're you know engaged and, and entertained if they need to be entertained kind of reading the room that's the thing i love most in the world and so that's why I've made that one of the kind of the, the three pillars, as I describe it, of my my new business. You know? Yeah, love that, love that. Let's just talk about American football for a minute. So a, a Scottish bloke doing American football. Um, how, how did this happen? And and yeah, just 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 talk a little bit about American football, really, because it's a those... bizarre. Oh, go on, sorry, go. On. It's a bizarre one, isn't it? Because you know, in in Scotland, obviously, the, the two big sports up here are the same as the two big sports. You know down England where you've got football dominates and then rugby kind of comes in second and we don't play cricket here unless you go to a posh school but uh, you know you guys have got that as well um, but yeah I, I was never much good at either of them I, I love rugby and I, you know I'm a, a huge fan of both sports as a spectator but I was never much good at playing either of them but I, but I loved watching American football from being really young so I was just kind of the, the the glitz and the you know people in helmets running about and the kind of physicality and stuff I loved I didn't really understand it as a kid but you know I went to university and had friends who watched it and then at the time the Scottish Claymores were still around so there used to be a professional league in Europe called NFL Europe or it was originally the World League and then it was NFL Europe and there was a team based in Scotland called the Scottish Claymores and there was the London Monarchs down south and the London Monarchs folded but the Scottish Claymores were one of the last teams before they folded the league and so in first year at university, the, the university's American football team, the Glasgow University Tigers, organised a trip to go and see the Claymores play, on which I ended up going because some of my flatmates got tickets. And I met the guys who'd organised it and they were like, you know, being a big guy, which is basically a polite way of saying I was tall and fat, right? They were like, oh, we, you know, we need an offensive lineman. You'd be perfect for it. And so I said, oh, I'll definitely come along to head about 600 beers by this point. So I said, I'll definitely come along. I'll definitely come along. And that was in first year. Well, I waited until... I did my degree, which is a four-year degree in Scotland. And then the year after, I did a sabbatical. So I was like an elected student officer. And during that year, naturally, I'd already graduated. I had no work in the evenings. And I was like, I'll, I will make good on that promise. And so I went along. And the idea behind it was I was writing a, an article for the local, for the university paper. And I was like, I want to kind of have an outsider's perspective of this brand new sport. And that was really the only reason I did it. And uh, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the sport. I fell in love with the combination of the kind of the strategy, the detail versus just the raw physicality of it, you know. And yeah, that led me into playing for us. So the, the university leagues run through the winter, kind of, you know, over the, that winter period. And then the senior, junior and youth leagues run through the summer. So some of our uni guys were, were then going to play for this local senior team, the East Coast Brown Pirates, said, oh, you should come along. And I was like, well, I might as well. And then, I, you know, I did in the rest of history. I played for them for seven years, became the chairman, then was the treasurer after that, was the, you know, a coach for the seniors and then helped out with the youth. And then I was the head coach of the juniors. And it was just, it's been an amazing 15 or 16 years. You know? Wow. Well, has, that, has American football helped you in doing what you do or not? Massively, massively. I talk about this all the time. So also in my spare time, something I've picked up recently, I coach Falkirk's uh, 
2013's football team. So basically eight-year-olds football, right? And uh, the, the overlap between coaching, you know, a 16-year-olds to play American football versus eight-year-olds to play football versus coaching execs to, you know, be better leaders is, it's unbelievable. It's amazing how much overlap there is. And it's really just about all of those soft skills, as people call them, which is, I think, is a, a word that probably um, plays down their value, but your ability to engage and connect with people, your ability to, you know, develop an understanding of where they're trying to get to, to help them get there through, you know, their, their own previous experience and also filling in the gaps where they don't have that. Um, it's it's amazing. It's, I always say this, you know, taking these young people from the West of Scotland uh, versus taking these high rolling execs that are at levels of an organisation that I'll never get to, you know, it's amazing how much overlap there is in, in what you do. Who's the more difficult to coach? At the moment, it's the Falkirk 2013s because their attention spans are absolutely horrendous. But, um, but you know, it, it really depends. I think the hardest people to coach are people who don't really want to be coached. And the nature of our job as a coach within an organisation, now, out on my own, people will be approaching me saying, you know, Matt, I could really do some coaching. You know, would you be available? And I will say, yes, I absolutely will. And then I will charge them and that will be a wonderful transaction. But... In the bank, it's very much like you get assigned a lot of the time to a lot of the people you coach. So it's like, Lee, you're going to have a coach. It's Matt Davies, here he is. And a lot of those times, particularly in the early days, the the organization had a really bad um, uh, perception of coaching in a lot of places where they, they, they almost saw it as something that was remedial. You know, so it's like the reason you're getting coached is because you're not good or because you're not good at something. Yeah. Uh, when in fact, actually, you know, the, the point I always made is like Andy Murray didn't just go to Argos and buy a tennis racket and, you know, join the tour. And then, you know, one day decided he might get a coach along the way. These guys are coached throughout their lives as a matter of course. That's how you get better. That's how you develop. And it's not about your, you know, a remedial to f- thing to fix a problem. It's a, it's a matter of course. So we had a lot of that resistance in the early days. And that those people are really tough to coach because they just they aren't interested. And yeah. the other people that are really tough to coach is just people who don't want to get better. You know, I don't like, especially when it comes to leadership, there are a lot of reluctant leaders in big organizations where, you know, the example always I, I always use is you've got a group of programmers and Lee's the best programmer in the group, but he's at the top end of the pay scale. We can't pay him anymore. So we're like, well, the only way we can keep him is to promote him and to promote him to the, the, you know, the, t- the team leader, the head of that team. So now we've got a team leader that's no longer programming. So we've lost our best programmer, so the team's got worse. And we've got a leader who, in many cases, either doesn't want to or isn't equipped to be a leader. So you've got a group, a worse group of programmers being led by a reluctant or unskilled leader, and it just all goes horribly wrong. And so people, there are people out there who just don't care. They don't want to be leaders. They want to be individual contributors and experts in their field. And we often promote those people into positions just because it's the only way to keep them. They're, they're a nightmare. Yeah, no, completely, completely. I just want to pick up on, on one of the answers that you gave uh, a couple of minutes ago when I asked you uh, who was the more difficult to coach, and you said it's everybody's, um, or it's very similar for, for all three three groups, but it starts with connection. How does Matthew Davies build connection with the people that he's, that he's coaching? Because, and the reason why I say this as well is um, he also mentioned stand-up comedy at the start, and I've been on a couple of stand-up comedy courses because uh, I because my family tell me that I need to be funnier. So I've been on a couple of stand-up comedy courses, and the very first course I went on, they said, um, it, I, I, "What's the secret of stand-up comedy?" And, and everybody said, "Oh, it's jokes and ability to tell jokes." He said, and the guy who delivered the course said, "No, it's not. It's 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 building connection with the audience." 
then it's your performance and varying your setups and your punchlines, and then it's your materials, which is your, your jokes last. And then you've just given connection as the most important thing, um, whether it's eight-year-olds, whether it's 16-year-olds, or whether it's execs. So how does Matthew Davis build connection? So it's funny that you mentioned that in relation to comedy, because one of the most powerful currencies that I have that I've always had um, ever since I was a kid to build connection is is humour, is comedy. You know, I build connection by kind of being the funny guy. And at times early on in my career, that was kind of to my detriment because you almost you almost got a reputation as the class clown. You know, it was kind of too keen to make jokes and not keen enough to actually do the work so it's something I've really had to work on in terms of finding that balance but in the early days it's very much about you know um the, the Stephen Covey thing of you know uh seek first to understand before being understood you know be interested before you're interesting you know so take the time to learn and find out about people make them laugh and most importantly is let them know that you're there because you care you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is a huge thing with coaching is I'm here to help you get better. I'm not here to catch you out. I'm not here to be the leadership police to, you know, pull you up for your mistakes. I'm here to help you get better. And, you know, by doing those things, being genuine, being honest and building a relationship that's not based on the, you know, the professional context. It's based on two people uh, getting on with each other. That's always been the way I've done it. Yeah, yeah, love that, love that. Thank you, thank you for that. What's the what's the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome, Matthew? I think that was definitely one of them. That was definitely one of them. Was being, I was quite bad in the early days. And I've, one of the things I've done over the last decade, especially as someone who spent five years on graduate schemes, is for the last ten years I have spoken to cohorts of graduates who have come into the bank every single year. And I have this kind of eleven point kind of Matt Davies top tips for grads things I've shared with them over the years. And one of the things I talk about a lot is that in the early days, I was quite detrimental to my own reputation, right? I was never somebody that was poorly behaved. There was never any malice. There was never any um, nastiness, you know, any of the kind of inappropriate stuff that goes on in offices. I wasn't that guy. But what I did do was I would play up to certain stereotypes, even if they weren't accurate, just for a cheap laugh, just for the entertainment of the group, you know? So I'll give you an example, like say you and I are working, sitting opposite each other in an, in an office building and uh, I've got a meeting that starts at seven o'clock in the morning in this another part of the building. So I'm in at seven, I'm knocking my pan and the meeting goes really well. And at 11 o'clock, the meeting finishes and I come to the desk and you're like, oh, here's Matt, roll, graduate as usual, rolling in at 11 o'clock. And I'm like, you know how it is. It's a heavy night last night. And just kind of playing up to it just for the, you know, just because because it was fun and it was it was nice way to sort of engage with other people, not realizing that actually what I was doing was creating an image of myself that wasn't accurate, that wasn't fair, um, and that image is very hard once it's established to get rid of. So you go around, and I always describe myself in the early part of my career as being like when you hear a football manager talk about a player and saying he's great to have around the place, he's great to have around the dressing room. That means he's a rubbish player. You know, but he's good fun on a night out, right? Yeah. And I kind of got a reputation for that as people overlooked the great work that I did and how hard I worked and how committed I was to what I did. And because the personality was too big, it was like it overshadowed it. So that's been one of the biggest things I've had to learn. And it's been nice because it's given me the opportunity to help other people identify those same weaknesses, you know. Yeah, how did you change that image? How did you how did you shift people's perception of 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 you then to to you the person who the true, the true you? Well, it's interesting you say that because on leaving the bank after 15 years, I would guarantee there would still be some people who knew me from those early days who would still have that perception. 
You know, it wasn't accurate then, and it's certainly not accurate now, but it sticks, you know. And ultimately, there are some people that want to have that perception of you. You know, they choose that. That's how they choose to view you. And, you know, you can't do anything about that. But basically, when I moved jobs and moved into different areas, I, I kind of saw it as a fresh start. It's like you're going to be working with a whole new group of people in a whole different department. And when I joined the bank, there was 190,000 people in 53 countries. So, you know, it was a big place. Um, and so what I did was it was a very conscious effort. It was a lot of that kind of reflective practice about thinking, you know, how did I come across in that scenario? And, and, and you know, I'm going to be meeting this guy, Lee, and we're potentially going to be working together. So what what I need to do, how do I need to behave? There's something in it about almost um, almost like neurolinguistic programming where you're kind of, um, you're almost kind of following a pattern. It's like, if I want to be perceived in this way, how would someone who is perceived in that way behave in this situation? You know, I would go in, I'd be very diligent, I'd be organised, I'd be prepared, I'd be there early. I would have, you know, a very, you know, I'd use a little bit of human early doors, but I wouldn't be constantly, like, it's like sometimes it's like having a dog on a leash. It's like, right, there's an opportunity for a cheap one-liner here, Matt, but it's not the time of the place, you know? And, and like, yeah. it is, especially in the early days, it was really hard. You know, it was really, really hard because I just like making people laugh. I love being a people pleaser. I love, you know, building that kind of warmth and connection. But I recognised that it was detrimental to my image, you know. Yeah, if you could give yourself some advice. You said 16 years ago, since 16, 15, 16 yeah. years. 15 yeah. years ago, yeah. If you could if you could give your 15-year younger self um, a bit of advice based on what you know now, what, what would you say to yourself? I think, so there's two parts to it. One part is, the journey I've gone on has got me to where I am today and I'm, you know, I'm extremely proud of that. And so, you know, part of it's like that episode where Homer Simpson goes back in time with the magic toaster and he keeps like trampling on all the insects. And then, you know, when he comes back in the real world, it's raining donuts and stuff. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, so there's a bit of that. But I think in truth, what I would do is I would, I would encourage myself to learn more about image and brand earlier on, right? And personal brand is such a cheesy corporate phrase. It's like, you know, but it's really just about what is the impact you're trying to have on these people and how could that be beneficial to you in building relationships and growing a career and how could it be detrimental? It's almost like having an eye on my blind spots, which I didn't really have in those early days, you know? And if I had that eye on it, it's about, I tell people a lot, especially the young people I've coached about being intentional with what you do, like you, how you choose to spend your time, how you choose to spend your money, how you choose to come across in a certain situation. If you choose to come across as a reckless maniac who's, you know, just kind of an absolute loose kind of, that's fine. But make sure you've chosen to do that. You know, it's not just something you do by accident. So I think being intentional about my behaviours in the early part of my career is something I would definitely, definitely teach. Yeah, love that. Love that. Thank you. And um, let's just talk about so the guitar, the comedy. Yeah. The um the the stuff that you've done during lockdown, do you do you do you have to fill all of your time with with new and, and different things? Or what is it that 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 makes you be so um experimental? So I've got a very obsessive personality. Like when I get into something, there's no half measures. And that's I was recently approached actually, there was two teams asked me to be their head coach, two American football teams nearby. And because I'm setting up the new business and getting things going and because I've got, you know, Harper, my, my six-year-old daughter, it's like the, the light of my life, you know, and spending time with her is super, super important. Um, I just couldn't commit to it. And the thing I always said to them is, if I can't do something and be all in, I just don't do it because it's I don't like to do things by half measures. And so what happens is I just get a taste for something. Like So I started off back in 1998. A few of my boys went to see the Blue Tones play, right? Blue Tones yeah. had released by 
which is a seminal album from the Britpop era. And they went to see uh, them play and they came out like, we're starting a band. And I was like, great, I'll be your manager, right? Because I was the kind of organised one. And they were like, no, forget that. We don't need a manager. You can play bass. I was like, I don't even know what that is. And I certainly don't own one. And I certainly don't know how to play. But they said, and I, then I kind of got the th- thought, actually, this could be quite a cool thing. Like, you know, it'd be quite cool to be in a band. Yeah. And I just went hammering tongs. And in those early years, I became a very, very skilled bass player because I started getting lessons and every spare minute of my life was filled with, you know, practicing and practicing and practicing and developing my chops. And so that was just what I did. And then it came on to, you know, American football took over. And again, you know, I won British American Football Coach of the Year. I won uh, City of Edinburgh Sports Coach of the Year because... I don't do anything by half measures. You just commit to being great at it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to be the best at it. Uh, and, you know, it never quite works. I'm, like, I'm not the best, not saying I'm the best bass player, the best coach you ever lived. But, you know, I became the best I could be with the resource I had. And it's just the way I am. You know, the fermentation, I was showing you when we spoke last week, I've got, <laughs> I've got tw- 16 litres of hot sauce, uh, 10 litres of, um, of sauerkraut, and 6 litres of, of honey garlic. Because I was kind of at the start of this year, I was starting to take better care of myself and, you know, was learning about probiotics and stuff. And I thought, well, I should maybe try and get something. I was like, I'll probably make it myself. It's not that hard. That just became a total rabbit hole. A couple yeah. of years ago, detailing cars, right? So like cleaning cars, but like cleaning cars to like a professional standard. I've now got about 500 pounds worth of equipment and chemicals in my shed. And my cars are always immaculate because that became an obsession. I just kind yeah. of get, when I do something, it, like I watched hundreds of hours on YouTube of people cleaning cars. And my friends just think it's hilarious, the stuff I get obsessed with, because it's like, if I do something, I'm all in, you know? Yeah, um, I love that. I love that. What's next? Have you, have, is, there, is, there, is there something that's that's just about to become the next obsession? Well, there, I mean, there's always things in the fringes. So one of the things, this is terrible, one of the things that's been a massive obsession for me recently is Sudoku. I literally subscribe to like a pocket <laughs> Sudoku book and get those through. But thankfully, I'm able to kind of maintain that. And one of the things I've definitely got better at over the years is directing my obsessiveness towards things that really matter. So at the end of last year, I was 21 and a half stone. I weighed 300 pounds, right? And I'm six foot two, which is, you know, my BMI was up in the 30s. And uh, it was 38.5 or something like that. Just ridiculous. And at the start of the year, I was like, for my own health and, you know, so I'm around to see Harper graduate and get married and stuff, I really need to do something about it. And for the first time in my life, I turned that laser-focused obsessiveness onto something that was actually useful. And it was losing weight. And I lost five and a half stone in about five months. You know, I just... My alarm went off at 5.45 and I was out for a 10, 11K walk, you know, in the snow for a start. And then eventually as as it got around to about May and I'd lost a good chunk of weight, it started running. Um, And then, you know, now like this morning I got up and, you know, was in the gym first thing. And and yesterday I went out for a run and then went to the gym afterwards. You know, it's just that kind of thing. That's where my head is. So that's been really useful because that's had a positive benefit on my health to the point that, you know, it will probably prolong my life. And especially, you know, I lost a really good friend um, who I coached with in American football back in the spring through COVID because he was so overweight. He got he was 34 years old. Wow. You know, he got COVID and it took his life. And, and I think that you know, that was a real wake up call as well. So those types of things have been good. But right now it's, it's my new business, you know, and it has to be because, um, my family's uh, as and it's you say this like it's uh, you know like it makes you special but my family's the most important thing in the world to me you know my wife Catherine my daughter Harper I want to give them a great life I want them to be 
you know, happy and safe and contented. And that relies on me, you know, having a you know, certain income and being able to be financially secure and having stepped away from a big organization where you have that sort of security, it's going to be a case of really putting that laser focus onto my business, building relationships like I, like I've spoken about and getting opportunities off the back of it and turning it into something not only that is a strong, viable business, but also is it something I, that I love and I'm really proud of, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, perfect. What do you want to be remembered for, Matthew? Because you, you do so many things. You've got so many things that you could be remembered for. Um, what is it that you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for being a great dad. Love that. And all the other stuff that comes off it is a, is a lovely bonus. Like with the with the coaching, for example, you know, one of my proudest things is guys that I coached back in maybe 2015, 2016 will write to me out of the blue and they'll say, coach, I'm going to be applying for college. Would you mind being my reference? You know, those little things mean way more to me. I'm quite different from a lot of American football coaches. Like I was very successful. In four years as, as junior head coach, we went to three national championship games. And the other year we went, went to the plate, which is the semi-final, the kind of playoff game. And we won that, you know, so we came second, second, third, second in four years in the UK. And, you know, we won a lot of games along the way. Um, but winning and losing games to me in sport, especially in amateur sport with young people, it's, it's just not what, like, I'd rather win than lose always. But that's yeah. not what I do. You know, I do it because I want to make a positive impact on those young people's lives that goes way beyond the sport. And so if I can have an impact on my daughter's life that, you know, helps her grow up to be a happy, healthy, confident, you know, person and have a little bit of an impact on these people along the way, whether it be execs that I coach or whether it be eight-year-olds at Falkirk uh, Football Club, um, you know, that's that would be a lovely way to be remembered. Yeah. When you when you gave the answer to be a great dad, what does what does being a great dad? Uh, what makes a great dad for Matthew Davies? What's the what's what makes that? Number one is being present, being present for her, and I think that is something that I have been challenged with in the past because I'm so active and so busy. There's always a million distractions, and it's like when you are with Harper, you're with Harper, you know, and really make sure that focus is there. And that's something I'm always always working on. I think teaching her resilience—that's probably my biggest worry with Harper and with a lot of young people today is how do we teach them to be resilient? You know, it's not about making sure they go through all these horrendous hardships, but it's about making sure that when hardships do come their way, that, you know, that Harper is well equipped to deal with them. Um, and I think the other thing is just teaching her to just find herself and, and be herself. One of the things that has been a huge source of strength for me over the years is my dad, whose birthday was yesterday, actually, uh, Steve-O, his, um, you know, one of the things that he taught me is it doesn't matter what other people think of you. You know, I, I've done a lot of things in my life, you know, hobbies and, you know, interests and gone places and done things that other people frown upon or, you know, they just think it's a lot of nonsense, like the many hobbies I've just listed. <laughs> um, but I do the stuff that matters to me yeah. and I do the stuff I love because it matters to me and it's it's given me great experiences. So just be, be confident enough to be yourself in this very peer pressured you know social media world that young people are growing up in that we managed to avoid yeah yeah wow love it love it love it love it love it you you um you talk very passionately about every subject as well don't you is it what what is it what what is it that, that gives you that such um um passion about everything so this is a really funny, it's funny you should ask this because I had this conversation with a close group of friends a few months ago. One of my superpowers 
and it's not something I can say I've necessarily developed. It's just the way I'm put together is I am someone that takes a huge amount of joy and passion from the simplest things. You know, like my wife will tell you, whenever we're, it's coming up to my favorite time of year, like I love autumn, it's, it's my favorite season, right? And the reason I love autumn is because I love trees. And the reason that they come together is because everything looks beautiful. And whenever we're driving, I'm like, oh, look at the trees. Oh my God, look at those trees. And my wife is like, will you give it a rest about the tree? You know, I love um, little bizarre things. This pen here, this pen is a Candash 849 ballpoint pen, right? They cost about 10, 15 quid, right? But this pen means more to me than most people's children mean to them. Like, I just love it. I love simple things. I love a nice notebook. I love sauerkraut. I love a, I love a sunny day. I'm just someone that is 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 really passionate about simple things in life, you know? Um, it doesn't take much. Like last night at training, it's all boys in the team, and there's like 18 of them, and there's one girl. And this girl is just tiny, right? But um, we were talking about her position on the field. She's playing left wing, and she kept drifting inside, drifting inside. And I was like, we've got a corner. Stay at the back post. And I was just kind of encouraging her. I said, stay at the back post right there. The opp opportunity will come. And the ball fell, and she's lashed it in the top corner. She turned around, and she was in the cheesy grin she had. Yeah. It was like Amazing. those little moments, the little things just bring me such a huge amount of joy. And so when I do things that and, – and, and, and because I choose to do things that bring me joy – it's easy to be passionate, you know. It's easy to be passionate about the stuff that you love. It's my family, it's my hobbies, it's my job. It's yeah, I'm very lucky. I live a great life, and that doesn't mean I live a lavish, extravagant life with marble floors and big screen TVs. I just live, you know, I do things I love and I surround myself with people I love, and, and you know, it's easy because of it. Yeah, love it, love it. Amazing, amazing. No, thank, thank you for that. Thank you for your honesty as well, Matthew. Um, so what are you having for your tea today? Uh, tonight it's filled pasta. It was filled pasta when we spoke last time as well, which sounds like that's all I eat, but it'll be filled pasta with a, a garlic flatbread. And uh, the filled pasta is chorizo and some kind of cheese, I can't remember, with um tomato and mascarpone sauce. It's a it's a pretty pretty basic one. But my lunch oh, yeah. will be an omelet. Because my lunch is always an omelet. Because do you know what else I'm obsessed about? Oh, go Making omelets. <laughs> Making omelets. That's what's what I'm your, obsessed with. What's your favourite omelet? I have had omelets five days a week for <laughs> the best part of a year and a half. <laughs> I get up in the morning, when, I, when I come back from a run in the morning, I've got a little shaker, like a salad dressing shaker, two eggs, a bit of milk, salt and pepper in there, shake that up, put it in the fridge, cut up whatever's in the fridge. So my favourite type of omelette is whatever we've got. The other day I had a barbecue on, on Sunday and I had some chicken legs left over. At the end of the night, I stripped all the meat from the bone, cut it up fine, put it in a bowl. So I'll get an onion, some mushrooms, a little bit of that, and then egg and, and a tiny bit of milk, and we'll be gold. And I'll have that with some couscous and uh, a little bit of sauerkraut, and we'll be, oh, and I'll tell you, and I'll be sitting there on my own eating this with a massive cheesy grin on, like I'm, you know, Anthony Bourdain eating this crappy omelette <laughs> I've made for myself. <laughs> no, amazing. Amazing. But you said you only had almost five days a week. What happens the other two days? Well, the weekends, because at the weekends, I so me and my wife both work from home, but she makes her own lunch because she doesn't like omelets. But at the weekend, because the family's around, I can't inflict it. Like my, my, it's, it's got to the stage where whenever questions come up, like, you know, what's your favourite food? My daughter will be like, I know my daddy's favourite food, omelets. Now, omelets are not necessarily my favourite food, but I do enjoy making them. But it's become yeah. this, like, family obsession. So at the weekend, it'll typically be something much more... Uh, wife friendly which is not on let's you know I'll try and make something that'll put a smile on her face yeah oh 
love it, love it. Matthew Davis, man of the people, aren't you? Um, so exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about you, Matthew, uh, where would they go? What would they do? What would they find? Yeah, if they go to mattdaviespeaks.com, um, then two T's and Matt and IES and Davies, then that's got a little bit of stuff about some of the speaking things I've done in the past. But largely, from a professional point of view, the best thing to do would be just to connect me on LinkedIn. So it's Matthew Davies there um, on LinkedIn. And yeah, just it, that's where I'm going to be kind of talking about the things I've done, the things I'm going to be doing, the relationships I'm building. It's yeah, it's a fun time. It's a, it's a fun time in my career, and uh, and I'd love to hear from anybody that thinks that you know we could uh, we could do some interesting stuff together. Yeah, love it. No, thank you, thank you for that. One final question: um, At what point? And because you've used the word obsessive and, and obsession a few times, and you've you've got a number of different passions, I'm going to call them. At what point does something become an obsession or a passion? Do you have to try it and a number of times first or is it just because the seed is planted or is it the first time that you've felt something? What point is it? There's a point of doing something where it fills my mind and I'll be doing other things but I'll be thinking like that. Like I'll be thinking, like I'll be on a meeting and I'll be thinking, right, this meeting finishes at 12 and the next meeting doesn't start until 2 so I've probably got time to wash the car. And I'm like, right, will I have time to will I have time to wax it in that time? Or will I have to just do this like Guillaume wet coat and just give it like a quick spray and then shower it down, you know? So just to make sure the hydrophobicity is, is a high enough level, you know, it's like you start and then you, you then you think to yourself, what am I thinking about cleaning the car for? I mean, it, it doesn't even need cleaned. This is nonsense. But there are points where it's like, right. And I, there are times where you have to just be like, slap yourself. And that's quite enough, you know, concentrate. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, it's just a point which it fills your mind and then you know then you know it's it's one of those. It's one of those. Okay, so final, final question then. What's the thing that's currently filling your mind, Matthew Davies? It's Sudoku at the moment. Sudoku. No way. Sudoku. <laughs> do, do, I don't know if you've ever had this. I went, this is when I was young. Do you remember the Solitaire? That was the game, the, the card game on the old PCs used to get, yeah. right? So that was an early obsession of mine, and I mean obsession, right? But admittedly, you had about four games, like Minesweeper and that, and Ski Free. Uh, but doing that became so obsessive that I would be looking at people, and this is this is going to sound terrible, right? But I'd be looking at people and things and objects when I was out and about, and they would almost be like morphing into cards, and I'd be imagining stacking them in order. You know what I mean? I'm like, I probably need to play less solitaire. This has become, you know... This yeah. has become degrading <laughs> in my mind. It's kind of like that was you, know, you imagine numbers in the sky. It's terrible. Yeah, love it, love it. Oh wow, 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 wow! I think that's the only word I can I can finish with. That. So I just want to say th- thank you so much, Matthew, for such an enjoyable um, conversation in the in the last forty minutes. It's been an absolute pleasure to to learn a little bit more about you, what drives you, and what's important to you as well. I just want to say good luck with everything, um, and and thank you so much for the uh, for the chat today. Thank you. And I would say before I go, thank you for everything you do, because, uh, you know, I love the podcast, I love the energy and the, the passion you bring to it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a real asset. So thank you. Uh, cheers, Matthew. Catch up soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.